0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hi, welcome to the New Books Network. My name is Hillel Yadin. I am a host on the Library Science Channel. I'm here with Matthew Dennis to talk about his book, American Relics and the Politics of Public Memory. Do you want to introduce yourself and the book?
0: I'm um, sure. You know, yeah, you've already mentioned the title. Um, I'm an American historian. Um, That has looked at a lot of, um, you know, taken a lot of different approaches Um, chronologically. I'm, um, I've been interested in the early American period, and that's where I worked mostly in my early career. Um, uh, But from the start, I've been interested very much in uh, American public memory and how it is that we, as a public in the United States or even before that, um, construct a sense of our history, our past. Um, not necessarily through scholarly means, but in the public sphere. And so um, and after a couple of uh, my, uh, books, I wrote a book on American public holidays and became very interested in how it is that American uh, sense of identity and nationalism and national unity was both constructed and contested through American public holidays of a, of a kind of political nature. So it went from... Uh, the 4th of July through Thanksgiving, all the way up to um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And in the process of doing that, I just it, I, I really became more interested in, uh, in Memorial Day, memorializing in um, the place of monuments in American public space and so forth. And so ultimately, it led me to this book, American, about American uh, relics and the politics of public memory. Um, one of the things that really struck me. Is that relics or objects work in different ways uh, publicly and are different kinds of evidence for, for historians than um, the more common and familiar textual uh, documents and um, letters and and you know the, the the textual evidence that historians usually use and so um, this book emerged. Uh, to do kind of two things. One is to examine the role of material objects in American um, public culture, and um, see how it was that this that, that these things made a difference or or helped understand helped us understand the American past in different ways. Um, and I wanted to look at the nature of relic like things in American history and. See, you know how they operate. So, so anyway, so 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 the book emerged, and and it's like my book on holidays. It's um, it's a it's an it's a big, ambitious, humbling enterprise, really. Um, that that takes that that takes a look at American public memory from the early Republic to um, the 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 twenty first century. Um, with chapters. On um, the origins of American museums um, and uh, the ways that that objects work to construct American identity and uh, national unity, national identity, and contest them as well. Um, the way they worked um, in the course of American westward expansion, um, the way uh, that 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 relics worked. Um, Atrociously, um, you know, is not not simply to create heroes or to tell an, a glorious American story, uh, but to uh, to intimidate and appall and 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 some and dominate. Um, and so I so I looked at um, I have a chapter on the, the kind of the dark history of lynching and its objects. And then um, in turning to the 20th century, I tried to chronicle and analyze the transformation of American museums, or at least the emergence of new kinds of museums in the United States and elsewhere, memorial museums that have a kind of different purpose, not so much a nationalistic purpose, um, but to confront the atrocities, um, the failures, the injustices of the past, Um, and tell a different kind of story. One that is um, designed to evoke memory, um, to highlight uh, victims, to tell their stories and to reform uh, the the United States, its people and perhaps um, repair the damage done as Americans fail to realize their uh, noble objectives as articulated in the early Republic. And so it goes through um, civil war at the end, civil war, Civil war, excuse me, civil rights museums, um, and especially uh, the, um, the the new 9/11 museum that emerged in the wake of September 11th, 2001. Um, and then in an epilogue, I, I try to try to, I don't know, assess what the relics of the future might be, and there um, go as far as discussing the collection of COVID 19 objects that will tell that story. And even the objects that um, emerge from the December—I mean, December, January sixth—insurrection in the Capitol. So it's it's really broad. Um, it's um, each each chapter is a kind of essay in itself. Um, they work chronologically, I think, um, uh, it, more or less, and each focuses on a different theme, a variation on that theme that cu- accumulates. I hope a sense of my purpose, which is again to. Um, assess what relics are and do in the American context, and to see how they actually help us understand um, the American past a little bit better.
1: Thank you. Yeah, to any listeners, the scope of the book is enormous, but in a very, a way that's very satisfying to read. Um, So let's talk about some of what you found or argued. Um, One of the big themes of the book is the way that relics create a relationship with the viewer. You have uh, one of the epigraphs. is from Walter Benjamin, who says, to experience the aura of an object, we look at means to invest it with the ability to look back at us. So, and this is, if you have specific examples that you wrote about, or if you want to speak more generally, but what is the process by which an ordinary object becomes a relic? Um,
0: relics are are found... Um, and deployed in ways that will um, help people, audiences, sometimes just one individual, but often a broader audience. And that's what I'm really talking about in the book, identify or understand the past to connect uh, oneself to the past. So, so a relic is unique in the way it is the past that, existed, that exists in the present. It's, it's a remnant, but it's a way, it's a remnant that connects people directly, almost seemingly without mediation to some past event or some great or tragic uh, event or person. And and so it has a kind of power that other kinds of evidence don't seem to have. It, it provides kind of the argument and the evidence all in one. So one of the things that, is distinctive about relics is they seem to just emerge, not so much, you know, selected, but but emerge and speak almost on their own with a kind of voice. And so, um, you know, we certainly invest them with a great meaning and purpose, but of course um, there's a kind of ventriloquism um, that exists here as well. So um, it, it, I, I start off the book talking about the construction of American, um, political culture identity. I talk about museums as a kind of cultural, national infrastructure. And so here, objects were selected to put, to, to, um, to, be, to be preserved and displayed in early museums, so as to demonstrate to Americans who they were or, or, or prescribe who they were. Um, and so they, they were meant kind of to tell a, a glorious story of, um, about, about America. And and so these, while they were they they were selected, they were they they existed in ways that uh, in in these collections in ways that allowed them to just kind of you know tell the story. They became self evident um, objects or self evident arguments for the greatness of America. Um, but other objects, um, you know, other objects emerged in somewhat different ways. In some cases. Um, the 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 relic is something that is is really ordinary, um, a pen, a hat, um, you know, a piece piece of clothing of some sort, a pair of eyeglasses, um, and it and it can look like just about anything else, but it has somehow um, endured something extraordinary. Um, either it's been connected to a great personage, or a particular event, or it's gone through some kind of trauma. Um, that has transformed it, perhaps destroyed it in a certain sense, and yet made it um, from an ordinary object into something that's priceless. Because um, in a a sense, it's a witness, an ongoing witness to something that happened in the past that allows people seeing it to connect in ways that are unusual and and kind of uh, beyond what um, what mere oral claims or even documentary evidence can kind of provide. Um, I don't want to ramble on about this, but I you know so so um, but um, the relic is 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 interesting, I think, in the way that it acts as a kind of smoking gun um, in, in in an argument. Um, it allows it it just it just and it just connects people in ways that seem to authorize certain certain claims uh, in ways that don't require um, you know cl- uh, clear arguments sometimes arguments with evidence they just seem to make the case on their own and so they have great power uh, and in some cases um, like uh, like like many memorial objects as we remember some things they obscure other things so I have a chapter for example on the um, The westward expansion of settler colonialism across the continent, especially into the Oregon Territory, and and so one of the one of the things I focus on there are these pioneer pioneer graves across the Oregon Trail and in Oregon itself, and what um, what these bodies buried in place did, in a sense, was transform this uh, alien place into. a kind of ancestral home uh, for pioneers and those who followed them. So it, it, it in a way, it, it um, sanctified the this landscape and allowed pioneers and others who followed them uh, to obscure the fact that this wasn't their native ground. That this was land actually colonized rested away from people who had lived there for generations um and so it 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 kind of naturalized the landscape that in fact was not um you know not not uh, the uh, somehow sa- a sacred birthright to to white americans as they spread west
1: there's oh a can- sorry go ahead yeah, go
0: ahead sir. no you go ahead
1: um there's a lot of interesting um material on landscapes or individual natural features, um, there's a fairly long section on a the meteor. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about how landscapes or natural features can be used as relics and how this kind of shifting relationship in American history to the land has changed the way that that's possible?
0: Um, sure the the word the, the word monument um was you know originally um and and still associated with um human-made features um you know monuments we place in in uh, town squares and, and the like um but increasingly you see it, it kind of naturalized so that the features of the earth, especially in the growth of natural history in the 17th and 18th century and beyond um, became kind of natural monuments, monuments constructed by God um, and and somehow uh, assimilated as a kind of natural architecture. And you can see that specifically in the United States um, early in in the 18th century and early 19th century, when Americans are trying to um, argue that they have a place within, first within uh, Christendom really, uh, and second um, in, 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 uh, within an Atlantic world of science and civilization. And one of the things that uh, people like Thomas Jefferson and many others were trying to do was to use the American landscape as a way of talking simultaneously about the distinctiveness and promise of America and the venerable nature, or the oldness, in a way, the ancient quality of America, to knit it into this larger Atlantic world. So they would highlight uh, features, uh, Natural Bridge in Virginia, or or, or other extraordinary, um, uh, you know, land features uh, elsewhere, um, or the, the the natural historical, you know. Um, objects of uh, of of North America. And so they would take things which we would later call, think of, especially as, as specimens um, of antiquity, and elevate them into these relic-like objects that could show and demonstrate American distinctiveness. So um, I talk about, for example, as other historians have as well, um, the American mastodon and the way that um, Charles Wilson Peale and his um, sons assembled mass, a mass, mastodon and and it displayed at museums and took it on tour to to Europe um, in a way of, to to show it, that this was this kind of great object. So, um, but on the landscape itself, um, often what we see. Well, l- let me let me just kind of back up for a minute. Often, um, you know, we we might focus. For historical memory on landscape or on objects, um, one of the things that makes certain landscapes distinctive—battlefields, for example—is that something happened there, and the, the, the trauma of that space is remains in the objects that are there—the the, the the battered rocks and trees and and, and built landscape, or um, the fact that that within those landscapes, uh, bodies are, or or um, um, or things associated with fallen soldiers—they they still exist there. So um, the landscape is actually uh, kind of enhanced as um, as a as a as a place of memory um, uh, through the deposition um, of of relics. Um, the thing about relics, though, is that one of the things that makes them so effective is that they're portable. And so they can be taken out of these places um, and displayed in museums or uh, taken uh, on the road as it were and 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 shown in public and to inspire people to act um, in in this way or, or another. Um, again, I don't want to ramble too much, so I don't know maybe you if you am I, if I'm getting at your at your question um, or not
1: yeah, yeah, definitely um. One thing that you said, I want to shift a little bit. Um, One of the things that you said reminded me of a different question, which is this idea, especially in the sort of colonial, the founding of the nation period, Um, this idea that there's some sort of holiness to this American project. It's ordained in some way. There's this really um this religiosity is very present right um and and you there's another section of the book where you're talking about lynchings and drawing comparisons between lynchings and evangelical church services um and discussing the ways that lynchings are actually in a serving a certain function as a a ritual sacrifice right um so there's all of this all of this um, kind of religiosity in American politics that you talk about. Um, and I was wondering if you wanted to talk about the role of relics and it can be those two periods or if there's anything else that comes to mind, of course, there's a lot in the book.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't really talk about religion uh, kind of as religion very much or in, in any, in a really direct way. Um, but what I do is, is try to, um, assess the any analogy that we might make or comparison that we might make between the relics of medieval Christendom and relic like things in American public culture, and, and so um, what I what I see um, often happening is the the, um, the a kind of American civil religion that is very much supported and expressed through material objects. And these can be, you know, really powerful. One of the things that kind of first piqued my interest, and I wondered, um, that made me wonder about this whole subject, is when I, before I started the book, was a kind of odd incident that occurred in um, September of 1775, when um, the uh, the new the the, the new American uh, Republic, it hadn't even declared independence yet, but the war, the American Revolution had started. And um, the great, one of the greatest generals, American generals, Benedict Arnold, was dispatched to invade Canada to Montreal and and Quebec. Um, This is before he was, um, you know, became the world's most famous, or the U.S., the most famous uh, trader in American history. Um, But he and his his officers, uh, on the way up to Canada, they stopped Newburyport in uh, Massachusetts. And they wanted to visit the remains in the crypt of George Whitfield, um, George Whitfield maybe is obscure to many um, to, to many people, but um, during the um, 18th century, before the Revolution, he was, you know, maybe the most famous man in America, and, and had this it was the was the source or the at least the kind of center of this huge revival um, that we call uh, the Great Awakening. And um, and so he, he had traveled around the United States, not in the United States, the American colonies, evangelizing. Um, he had died um, in I think 1771, and, and so he was buried in this crypt in a Presbyterian church in Newburyport. For some reason, Benedict Arnold um, and his and his officers wanted to visit it. They 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 handled the corpse. Um, they snipped off uh, pieces of the of the clothing that Whitfield had been buried in. And and I was wondering what what is going on here? Uh, this is this is this is this is bizarre, especially because um, in the United States, supposedly this enlightened country that um, that that um, seemed to um, you know, in, in, at least in its in its self regard, uh, thought itself well beyond and above the, the superstition of medieval Catholicism. And and yet here we have people collecting relics as if they were you know were in um, you know twelfth uh, century um, you know Spain or France or someplace. So I thought that this was this was really odd, um, and and so you know I think modern day or or, or later relics in American history they, they weren't objects that people would would pray to. Um, they wouldn't be um, things that Americans thought could be transformative. Um, but what they did seem to do is is um, is kind of erase time and place and connect people to the past in ways um, that were really powerful in determining in 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 helping them identify who they were, what their purpose was, what the purpose of their of, of their community or or their nation would be. Um, and so these could be um, you know have, have a lot of different. Uh, so if it was, if you're viewing <clears throat> George Washington's epilepsy, you might, uh, you know, this, people, people collected these things. These are, there's, there's the epilepsy and the collections of the Massachusetts Historical Society, and they were put there specifically to in, inspire subsequent Americans to help them um, remember Washington, honor him and emulate him. Um, but on the other hand, then you have um, objects like um, pieces just it's it's really uh ghastly uh, the the, um, the remains the burnt remains of corpses um, who were lynched in the south in the late 19th and early 20th centuries um, and these things were collected um, furiously uh, by people whites um, involved in the lynchings um, and then and then revered um, why because they uh, they were they were trophy like. Um, they seemed to be um, uh, they 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 propped up their sense of superior superiority. They helped intimidate those who were there. They were trying to oppress African Americans living in those communities, and so they had this 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 kind of transcendent power um, that was you know you know really troubling. It was a very difficult chapter uh, to uh, to write. Um, and so there's, and then there's, there's things like, um, you know, very, very recent. Um, the, uh, the objects that were, that remained after the demolition of the World Trade Center uh, in, um, on September 11th. Um, people, you know, going through and I mean, that was uh, the, the, the site itself was a site of a, of a disaster, of a massive crime. Um, but it was also a kind of uh, a cemetery or memorial or, or mortuary space um, and people you know saved saved things from that and um, and, and ultimately there I mean many different historical societies collected that those those objects um, preserved them in their destructive state to show exactly what happened. Um, and so this is also kind of an interesting and odd um, I don't know, a phenomenon where um, the the distri- detritus of this great catastrophe um, was, was preserved because it had some kind of power, that is the power to evoke memory, uh, to connect people with the past, and ultimately to guide behavior and policy in ways that could be, um, uh, I guess, you know, kind of Constructive, but also also destructive. So, so the the um, the, the the kind of mementos, the, the souvenirs, the relic-like things um, continued, at least in certain ways, uh, to mimic uh, many aspects of relics in uh, medieval Europe that you would expect, uh, say, uh, American Americans to um, to reject not they they're they don't they don't strike us now as superstitious but they act in ways that um, lend unique authority and often circumvent a kind of rational understanding of the past because we don't need we, we don't we don't need to um to think through these things they're self evident as we can see in the objects before our eyes
1: people don't want to acknowledge that they're superstitious <laughs> but i think more people are more superstitious than they let on. I just had a very funny conversation with someone who told me that they were not at all spiritual but believes in astrology if that counts. <laughs> I said I think yeah. that that counts. Um yeah. but what we're getting into here a little bit is the function of relics. Um one thing that really struck me uh this framing of the four function of relics, four functions of relics as Display of relic others to others, display of relic others to selves, display of relic selves to selves, and display of relic selves to others. Can you say more about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, the the book is about um, public memory and public culture. And so, um, you know, it's such a huge subject. Um, in, In a way, the way I address it is to try to look at a space that is the space of American culture and how these things enter into it, and so that may, may, makes it part of a vast dialogue—a really, really complicated one—with um, all sorts of race and class and gender uh, and religious, uh, you know, vectors and uh, you know, it, it, regional ones and, and so forth. Um, so I was especially. Uh, I, I, to, to sort this out, I was I was trying, you know, as, as I was I was writing uh, the chapter on atrocious relics, and I and I was trying to figure out like how they actually functioned, how did they work, and so I I, I tried to think about um, what they what they were, um, what the what the audience for them was, uh, what the nature of that public space in which they they existed. So it's it's the, they often um, are part of a material conversation. Um, and so I'm just wondering like, who, who is a part of that conversation? Who is the audience how, how, uh, and who is talking to whom it, and, and for what purposes? So I, I developed a kind of uh, matrix um, that, that would help maybe sort this out. And I, and I thought about ways that, um, that people would use relics, um, relics perhaps that come from um, their own community uh, to talk to themselves or how they would deploy them when they were showing them to others or how it is that, um, it, you know, so, so I, so, so for example, um, in some cases, I, I talked about the ways that um, that different communities would uh, collect often through uh, horrible means relics of some uh, foreign other. Um, and then Display it to those others. So, so uh, you know, a biblical, you know, a, 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 well, a one one example of this would be um, the way that um, heads were displayed on pikes in um, in these colonial contests between Native people and colonizers. Um, and we can go back to colonial Massachusetts, for example, and see in the wake of King Philip's War um, how. Um, the leaders once he was defeated his head was severed from his body placed on um uh, on a pike and uh, on and and displayed out, outside the uh the ramparts of the uh, of the um, settlement at Plymouth. Um, why well um it, it certainly was um, a display this this head this grotesque object was meant to as a, as a kind of display of others to cells that is to the to the uh, so-called pilgrim community um, by, by as a kind of trophy, and so what it did, it said, it said, we are superior, we are dominant, we are um, we we are victorious, and so it's a kind of war trophy. But it's also it also would function as a, a force for intimidation. That is, the display of that other to the others um, who are still the object of domination. Um, we can think also of the display of, 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 of cells, objects, um, our own objects to our own community. And so um, there's, a, there's a kind of odd and, 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 um, and famous example um, that occurs in the so-called War of Jenkins' here, which maybe no one ever heard of. Maybe they've never even heard of the War of the Austrian Succession in the 1730s and 1748. But, but supposedly this guy gets up um, and it's, it's, it's part of a larger, the larger wars for empire, but especially between France and England, although this is really with Spain. Um, and, 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 and this guy gets up in parliament, Robert Jenkins, and shows it's supposedly in this box or bottle his ear that he lost in some confrontation with um, uh, uh, Spanish, um, um, Spanish ships off the coast of Florida in, in the 1730s. And so he shows up this, this, this is what I've lost. This is what's at stake. This is what we, you know, this is why we have to go to war. And it's a very, you know, kind of powerful prop really or object a relic, his own relic that he's showing in order to prod people to um, to action. So he's showing um, a relic of himself to his own community in order to prod them to action. Um, I have a whole chapter called The Bloody Shirt, in which um, it is a kind of classic example of this, where people, um, that is Republican orators after the Civil War, uh, would supposedly uh, wave this bloody shirt on, the, on, a, on a podium or, or platform during these political campaigns and say, um, how could you possibly vote for the other side, the Democrats? Who caused this bloodshed? You know, you have to vote the way you shot. This is the blood of your fathers, of your brothers, of your uncles, of your sons. Um, it must mean for something, and and so this would be a kind of galvanizing effort to um, to um, uh, kind of stoke political passions and get people to vote in the you know in the proper way. So 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 that's just some examples of the ways that the um, the public sphere is 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 at times. Um, infused with objects that have um, meaning, they connect people with the past, and they're very important in um, making arguments that are beyond kind of rational, um, and instead emil, appeal to to emotions, and at least, and and convince people often that what they're seeing is is the reality before them, and and it, and the conclusion then is so obvious that it doesn't require any more, uh, you know, debate or or discussion. So it's it's really the, this this matrix was really about trying to understand how these things worked, depending on um, where they were displayed, to whom, and the purpose that they were being used uh, for, um, you know, politically and socially and culturally.
1: I think this question of the recipient and what they are supposed to get out of it really comes in towards the end of the book when you start writing about this shift in the 20th century, post-World War II, post-Holocaust, where memorial museums are beginning to be established. All of these museums are kind of, they're being much more explicit about their political and social aims. Um, there's this idea that people who are engaging with these relics are witnesses, right? Like there's an active role involved in engaging with these materials. Um, Do you think that this very present uh, phenomenon still, where you are being asked to engage as a, a witness or some sort of what's the word some sort of participant whether or not you actually do um but you're being called to do you think that this affects you you've been talking a lot about how these relics erase time and space and really connect people to history so do you think this being asked to take on this active role does in fact affect viewers relationships to history in these more modern museums
0: you know it's it's a that's a tough question um you know you can see the, the, it's hard to argue, um, it's hard to underestimate um, the impact and the trauma of the mid 20th century conflict that was World War II and then and the Holocaust. Um, and it, it had a kind of impact that was transformative for, for many about how they would understand the present, uh, especially in the context of the past and how they how how going forward, they would remember their present as history. Um, and by then it was it was clear in many places, the United States in particular, um, that the United U.S. history wasn't all uh Honor and glory, and and that um, that um, Americans need to need to reckon with their past. And this is this is a global phenomenon. But it, I think it's you know I focus mainly mainly on the United States, and and so um, you know you see the the, um, the 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 emergence of the civil rights movement, um, and for example, and and you see um, Americans and people worldwide trying to reckon with the Holocaust and the and the, the genocidal um, industrialized killing that occurred. Um, and so, um, you know, it just it seemed like, and, 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 and I, it just didn't seem like the normal kind of, um, of museum or memory projects um, made sense anymore. Now, certainly we still have museums that are about, that are, that are supposed to be kind of objective displays of historical objects. And I think now increasingly we're, we understand that there's a p- kind of politics to that as well. Um, but now we see um in memorial museums and and those kinds of efforts, um, a more transparent assessment of what of, of, of how we how we um, how we memorialize or commemorate the past and how we try to remember it. so um so I think that uh, that that some of these, it it, it seemed, it seemed that some of these new, especially Holocaust museums with all the Civil War museum I mean, uh, the civil rights museums, um, what they're really about is is reckoning with, with, with trauma and failure and, and, and victimization. And the idea then is to try to be transformative. It's an educational, uh, you know, older history museums are also educational, but it's the educational message um, seems, um, you know, kind of less transparent. Um, so, so it was a it was a different approach to the past because the older approach seemed just so a kind of sterile to many people, um, and and so it, it did ask you to um, to invest in, in certain things, uh, remembering uh, uh, these these horrendous events in the past, uh, not just to dwell on um, the horror of them, but. To to try to transform yourself, your society, your community, your nation, the world, and I think that um, people invested a lot in the in these museums um, because they thought they were carrying out a um, a humanitarian project, um, and um, and also they were concerned that people, you know, we say uh, we shall never forget, um, but in fact um, the historical record shows that we do, uh, and so unless there's ongoing effort to conserve memory um, and to interpret that memory. Then it's a possibility. There's there are great possibilities that those things can be forgotten. Um, what's also interesting, I think, is that in some of these um, these events that um, like like the Holocaust, um, the 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 impact was to uh, kind of annihilate the past. Um, I could think of I talk a little bit about the book, not not very much, but about the um, the destruction of the black community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, early in the 20th century. And um, you know, you you look at like something like that, what what happened was it was just it was just destroyed. There's something you know, burned to the ground, so there was almost nothing left. So in instances like that, and other other kinds of of um, of traumatic events, Um, New methods need to be found sometimes to tell that story and to document it. So um, we see increasingly the use of photography and film, you know, video, um, um, uh, uh, new kinds of, you know, displays, um, audiovisual displays in these museums. But at the bottom still is the need for actual solid objects. Um, that will connect people directly with the past, and so um, you know if you look at Holocaust museums, for example, um, you know while they have 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 film and audio and um, video of of of, of, um, of horrible things that that occurred, they also uh, want to connect people directly to the past through solid physical objects, like say. The eyeglasses taken from victims, or shoes, um, and things that um, that 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 are real and and do seem to have a a deep power to bring that horrendous, horrible past into the present and get people to um, to think about it in ways that um, you know, kind of a lecture or 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 some kind of even very very good uh, monograph or or even. Um, a TV special won't, won't work. So um, I don't know. It's it, the, the, um, the shift is I think really important. And I think people want to invest in this way because they feel like, I, I think, and again, I, I mean, I, I mean, a historian, I can't really generalize of all this, but my sense is um, that it's a powerful means for people to try to remember the past, um, try to come to grips with it, um and to try to build a better future um and and i think that those new kinds of museums and those new kinds of relationships can be you know very very effective
1: it's interesting that you talk about relationships i two things came to mind as you were talking and my position here is i i work at an archive with a large amount of holocaust material and i I just got back from munich for a holocaust archivists workshop (laughs) and the the number one topic was genealogists you know there's all of these people trying to get these personal find these personal connections to these Mm -hmm. tragedies and also on the the tulsa question i don't know if you're familiar with built from the fire which is a a book that came out earlier this year from victor lucerson on a, a sort of history of Tulsa and the author ended up moving there um and I went to I went to one of his book launch events and he talked a lot about he's a journalist by training so this this tracks with his sort of field and he talked a lot about um speaking to children and grandchildren of survivors and of perpetrators of that massacre and I asked him during the QA what what his sources were. You know, what if he had trouble finding documentary sources given the way that everything was destroyed? And he just said, you know, we had the newspapers and we had the people, like the the memory. It gets us gets us away from relics. So I'm gonna stop. Well, <laughs> but... wait, let me let me let me just jump in here because <laughs> yeah, it, it actually does
0: it in some ways. Because one of the things that's interesting, I think, is that and I talk about this in the book, um, beginning with, um, you know, part of a chapter where I talk about the return of the Marquis de Lafayette. And so one of the things I try to distinguish or, or at least highlight is uh, relics with a T, R-E-L-I-C-T, which I take to be um, living people. Um, you know, it, it, back in the um, 19th century sense of the word, "relic" meant the, um, a widow. A uh, su- survival of a of a marriage after the the husband had died, and and so that was just a kind of a legal term. And so, um, people can themselves be kind of relics that they live and they can tell their stories, and people can um, see them and relate to them, um, both because of what they say, but just because of their 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 presence. And so, um, you know, you can see this, for example, in um, at Oklahoma City, the um, amazing memorial, very, among the most effective I've seen. Um, after that um, horrible uh, bombing that occurred there in the 1990s. And among those people who, you know, there's, there's objects, destroyed objects that are collected in the museum, along with a really effective memorial, which is newly built, but incorporates things that, from the destruction. But, um, but taking people around there often are docents or guides who uh, themselves um, have some kind of connection to that day, that horrible moment. And so, people that gives people a direct kind of connection. And and um, there's there's I think maybe just maybe one or two um, living descendants of that um, of that race riot pogrom that destructive event. And so, um, you know, they themselves can be at least kind of people that um, that embody the past and give um, audiences or those they encounter a direct. Uh, you know, a direct connection uh, to that horrible past.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have time for one last question. <laughs> I think this is a complicated question, but I do think, I think it's a big part of the book and I think it's uh, important to talk about. So we'll end with this. Um, and you have, you have talked about this a little bit. Um but this use of human remains as relics um what are what are what are some of the larger spiritual and political and cultural structures that you found which influenced the way that groups related to human remains and were able to kind of convert them to relics and how did they relate differently if the remains are of the in-group or of the out-group
0: yeah um, well I mean I'm I while I don't get into it um, in in great detail the the greater context for much of this work are um, are kind of judeo Christian cultural systems that um, make the body very very important and um, and and we can see you know um, throughout American history and world history uh, great efforts among certain groups to, um, to recover bodies, to bury them well, to, um, to, to treat them with, with respect um, and um, place them in, in sanctified places. Um, and that certainly um, continues. What's of course um, troublesome in, 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 in American history is that um, other people's bodies, especially those being conquered are transformed from relics into trash, um, plowed under, um, uh, desecrated, or occasionally um, collected as uh, scientific objects and displayed in museums, um, rather than being left um, in their sacred spaces um, because they have, a, without a respect for the great meaning uh, they have for, for, say, the native people who, who place them there. Um, so um so so you know the the uh, human remains are are the classic relics. I mean that's um, if in in um, you know medieval Europe, um, medieval Christendom, um, the bones of saints were uh, were transported far and wide and sent to um, um, where were the were the often the kind of um, keystone to the creation of a meaningful church or, or cathedral in towns and cities all throughout Europe. Um, and these were places where um, they gave they gave towns and, and religious communities standing and they 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 attracted uh, pilgrims. And so people would, you know, would, would would take all this very seriously. And and so, th- so they had this long history. Um, in, in American history, um, there's been a great deal written about um, about death and burial and um, mortuary practices. And so I don't really need to get into into all that, but it's it's clear that, you know, that these are have have been from the beginning of American history, important um, relics from, you know, Benedict Arnold to um, to the aftermath of 9-11, where, um, you know, tragically out of the 2700 plus victims of that catastrophe. Less than 300 full bodies were recovered, um, and so um, human remains uh, were were kind of infused into the site and into the into the the refuse that was then transported from that site um, to uh, to fresh kills in in Staten Island. These two places became both crime scenes and um, places where uh, where mortal remains were trying to be. Um, collected and recovered Um, so there's 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 plenty that then ultimately were when 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 identification could occur especially through new kinds of new dna technologies um, the survivors were notified and it could be um, it was sometimes a relief but sometimes you know greatly troubling when uh, just a fragment of a body could be recovered Um, these are um you know it's it's it, it made it made for some really difficult choices. So that in some cases it was clear that the that 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 these that human remains were recovered, uh, but could not be tied to any particular person, and and uh, which would allow the normal processes of 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 burial and mourning to occur. And so to this day, um, in deep um, in the well, you know underground the the the, the plaza. At the 9-11 site and in the museum, in a place not accessible to the public, um, are are remains that maybe someday would be identified. Um, it's uh, the sur- survivor, the, the, the kin of the survivors have access to that space. It's 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 a space that's controversial because um, you know that the place was not supposed to be a um, a cemetery, or um, it, it was supposed to, it's supposed to be a a, a memorial a, um, in a museum. So um, it's it can, the, the human human remains as relics continue to be um, ubiquitous, and um, you know they, they there's nothing that kind of arouses more uh, kind of passion and and, and concern and, and uh, feeling than, um, than relics that 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 have come from a once living human
1: person unfortunately we have to end with that um thank you so much for taking the time um and i hope anybody who is listening to this um really there's so much in this book um really worth a read if you're interested in any of these themes from the archive and memory work perspective or from the historical and cultural perspective. So thank you so much.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.